Hey guys, it's Jessica. And this is Kendra. And we're opening a little bit different today because we typically record a bit ahead of time. Yeah. A lot has happened in the last couple of weeks, so we're adding this short extra intro to the next episode coming out because of what is going on in the world, specifically with Palestinians in Gaza and what's happening with civilians in Israel and a lot of other things that's it's, it's just, just coming to light. It's a heavy, heavy time right heavy. now. Jessica and I talk about this all the time offline, and we don't always bring it into the episodes, but this is something that has been going on for weeks now, and we feel like we have to speak out about it. And unfortunately, between releasing the last couple episodes, this was our first time to be able to sit down again together to say something. Right. I remember the first day, I didn't even know what was going on. I don't think any of us did. I remember us talking about it and it's like, how did we not realize what happened? This was like a history that was not taught to us. Yeah. Once again, thank God for social media because we're able to see people who are living in mm. that area day to day and sharing what's actually happening. My entire understanding of history of a lot of countries has been shattered in the last it, yeah. couple weeks. I'm shook by it all because there's just like it makes me question everything. TikTok. I mean, they ban some stuff, too. Let's not give TikTok everything. Right. They still and take things down. But without TikTok, I would have no idea. One man called us ignorant. Well, I'm just assuming <laughs> it's a man called us ignorant once in a in a comment. The truth is a lot of us are ignorant depending on what we're shown a lot of things are hidden from us. Yes. yes, it's up to us as individuals to go out and search for the correct information. But if you didn't even know there was information to go look for, that's what I'm talking about. A lot of things I had no idea about. I didn't even know that that should be something that I should look into. And I specifically at one point, I feel like in my 20s, walked away from politics altogether. I just didn't want anything to do with it. I think all of us have been there. It's just a huge realization that these wars and everything that's happening, it's all politics. It's just a bunch of people ego. are dying. These war games, they're sick. They're egotistical people making money off of the suffering. It's civilians, mostly women and children who always suffer the most during this time. And we're seeing it play out now. And it makes me think about back in the 90s with the Persian Gulf War. And then I think to like 9-11. And there's just so many things we don't know about because we didn't have anything but mainstream news media telling us this, what we would know. Yeah. And it's specific tailored lies just right. for us. To make us feel good and think we're Not on the even, right side of history. Well, exactly that. But. I always say usually they're doing something else. This is also a distraction. Right. But what's not a distraction and what is just breaking me, I'm crying every single night. I can't sleep. I feel guilty doing anything in my daily life right now. That is not. But there's nothing we can do. It's a very helpless situation. Say, hey, we're humans. And every human around the world right now is not in support of children dying. No. Of entire groups of people being wiped out. You just have to look to the streets in every single country. And as many civilians as could get out are rallying the streets. They're trying everything that they can. But there's nothing we can do. Because no. the only people in, in power to stop this 
are the ones who don't give a shit about us anyway. They are making money off of the suffering as they always have. My heart was broken when I saw the UN. They had the meeting and they were, you know, asking for aid, humanitarian aid to help those in Gaza. Our representative voted against it. The U.S. was the only one that rose their hand and said, yeah, no, that's that's not worth anything to us. We're not going to do that. I have to say, before I knew all of this, I thought that the support of Israel made sense. I didn't know. Yes, I was ignorant when it comes to Israel. I'm not ignorant about a lot of things, but honestly, I didn't realize that Israel wasn't even set until 1948. I don't know that any of our generation knew that. I thought it had been there since the dawn of time. I was listening to a Jewish American and she was commenting on someone who asked the question, when was the first time that you found out about this? And so many of us, it's the last couple weeks for us to know the actual truth of what has happened over the last 75 years. Right. And it's insane that it's not more readily available for us to find because this is happening. People have been there. People know about it. But did someone ever talk to me about it? No. No No one ever talked to me about this at all. And I was raised religious and Christian, and it was always you support Israel because that's God's chosen people. And so I just assumed they had been there forever and were fighting the same wars that I learned about in the Bible. I had no idea about the Zionist agenda. I did not know. That blew my mind. I obviously I wasn't a political science major or history major, so I didn't go into the depths of it. But how are Americans sending the amount of money from our tax dollars that are supporting Israel and we don't even understand it? Oh, it's sickening. Our money is going to cause suffering and children dying, women, families like it's one thing I didn't realize when it came to Israel is to separate it from Judaism. Right. I didn't either. And I didn't know that. I have a lot of Jewish friends and I never thought to question separating them from Israel. To see people that I know who are in the last two weeks deconstructing everything that they've been told as Jews. Right. Growing up, being told that that lands their birthright and even doing the birthright trip. It wasn't until the last two weeks and everything that is happening for the Palestinian people that they have changed their minds, that they are looking now to the Zionist community and being like, holy shit. Right. Like I was lied to. I was told that they're terrorists. Yes. I was told other really bad things. And these are my parents and my family members who are telling me this. It took a TikTok or a video for me to go, wait a second. That's not right. We shouldn't be bombing babies. Half of Gaza is children. Half, 50%, they can't even vote. And everyone comes out and they're like, the Palestinian people are supporting Hamas. And so therefore they are in cahoots with this terrorist group. I'm like, half of the country cannot vote. Exactly, there is that. And the other half, how how do you lash out? You are already a It's been 75 years. You're already a suppressed population. Hamas comes up and says, we're going to go help you. That sounds great. And then you find out there are terrorists. But then like you have no one else to turn to. So if Hamas shows up in your house and says, I'm going to use your backyard to launch some bombs, you can't say no. They are under the terrorist regime and they're not supporting it, but they can't not support it, if that makes sense. I know. Without their families being targeted. The reality is, is we don't even really know who Hamas is. is. 
we don't have proof of a lot of the stuff that happened in the first day of all of this starting. Yes. But all I know is that Israel has the highest intelligence in the world. Exactly. We all they knew mm-hmm. something they, was coming. Come on. That's why I'm saying we don't know how this started. For all we know, it was orchestrated. Everyone has a right to stand up for themselves. They've been occupied. It is not a war. And that's another thing that I am tired of hearing. This is not a war. There is no war when another side has the ability to take away your electricity, your access to food, your access to the internet. If they have the ability to stop and cut you off from everything, it's not war. They literally like, well, no more internet today. It's like David fighting Goliath. You've got the giant Israeli military complex against a bunch of people who are essentially living in an open air prison that are relying on the person that is oppressing them. Like it's, they had a beautiful life. They still created what they could within there. And we saw that one thing to mention between the two Hamas's rockets, they're literally made of stuff you can go get outside, right? They do not destroy hospitals. I was listening to this woman who did her research and she said, you know what has happened over the last 22 years of Hamas sending rockets towards Israel? How many have died? 69. And in one of the hospital bombings that Israel claimed was from Hamas. Right. That was over 500 people. Guess who has the type of missiles and rockets to do it? Israel. Guess who made them and gave them to them? The U.S. The U.S. They could wipe off Gaza if they wanted to in a matter of an hour. That's what and That's why have. we're here today because the yes. internet was taken down officially. And if we can't see what's going on there, I'm really scared of what they're going to do in the dark. They thought right. that they were going to hold the narrative of everything that's happening there. And now because people are waking up, you can't do that to another human. You can't right. do that to a child. We're all going to come together. Your plan failed. We see what's happening. We do have a platform. Yes. And we don't have a lot of people who listen compared to some other platforms, but it is a platform and it's our responsibility to say something. It doesn't have to be this way. What is the point? We know that when wars or I guess, like you said, it's not even a war, but when these types of things break out, you have to really look at who is benefiting from it. Yeah, because that's when you get to the root cause of what's going on. They will spin the story of the fear, talking about the hostages that Hamas took and like, you know, we have to defend ourselves. We have to do this. At the end of the day, who is benefiting from it? I think it goes pretty dark and pretty deep, 75 years deep. And it comes back to the U.S. And the allies, Britain has a big part in it. And that's the thing. It doesn't matter what country you and I are sitting here. It doesn't matter what country you live in. The everyday people who do have the information are against it. Our leaders do everything we don't want them to do. Yep. That's it. And that's why TikTok is so powerful. When a video comes out or someone is talking, I'm from this place. This is what I stand for. Right. We can't do that when we're landlocked and everybody is just assumed to have the same understanding and opinion of another set group of people. It's but dangerous that they can human. make us think that because we are all more alike than we are different. We all just want to have a happy life. We want to spend time with our families and we want to do it in the best way that we can, depending on our circumstances. And I've seen, you know, like you said, Gaza had built up their nice area, even though they were living in such oppression. Yeah, They had their beautiful areas. They had their communities. Mm-hmm. And I've seen so many heartbreaking videos of like, this was our family and this is what it is now. We've lost our there's, home. There's almost we've lost our husbands. Most of it is demolished at this point and they're isolated. They had already lost their homes 
before and were forced into this area to create new homes. And they did and a now great job. They've lost yes. those homes again mm-hmm. and their families and animals. Literally everything. It looks like just rubble. And it used to be a colorful place. Right. So we're here to just raise our voice. And you know what's scary is I've talked to several people over the last couple of weeks and I will bring it up. They have no idea what's happening because not only do people not know the other side of information sometimes, a lot of people don't even watch the news. So there are a bunch of people right now. And this is why I'm saying be kind when you bring it up to somebody else. There are a lot of people who aren't even aware that anything is happening at all. They have no clue. No clue that an entire group of people are being eradicated. We can all be a voice to help educate other people in a kind way. We just don't want this to be happening anymore. No. None of us want more. It's senseless. It gets us nowhere. Grow up. Like go sit at a table, talk it out. I don't understand it. And I think the younger generations definitely don't understand it and don't want it. And the problem, once again, we've talked about it before, is the people we have in power of the older generation and they come from that mindset. You go to war and superior firepower and the military complex. I mean, we put more money into our military than we do anything else. We could probably give everybody in this country, not probably, we could give everyone in this country healthcare, free college, all of these great benefits if we didn't put so much money into our military it's literally complex. It's just weapons, too. It's disgusting. It's about weapons. I think America does have the power to say stop, but those are their buddies, and they're the ones that We're gave not. them all the weapons, so I don't see that happening. Our Congress it's going to be not going to stop it. neighboring countries like Lebanon and stuff, and Iran and other people coming in to try and help and save them, because it's not just the Gaza Strip that they want. It's not just the West Bank. It's going to go further. And we're not super political chicks, but this isn't political. This is human rights. Right. If your heart doesn't break and you don't break down crying and you have a hard time sleeping from seeing a baby who's lost its mother, this isn't something that you you get to ignore. We always say stay lucid. Be aware. If you don't know what's going on, we encourage you to go out there and learn. There are many resources. You can start with TikTok. The good thing is you can watch a TikTok video and then you can go research it and find out. And most of it is true because I don't believe everything that comes on TikTok. People make shit up on there. Oh, yeah. I mean, but this can be validated. Trust your own instincts on what you're listening to. If enough people are saying one thing and you're seeing the video footage. Yes. This is about humanity. We all have a right to live. Free Palestine. Hey guys, it's Jessica. And this is Kendra. And you're listening to Lucid Lucid Lab. Lab. It's our official Halloween episode. Not only is it coming out on Halloween, but it is also our 31st episode. I know we found that out the other day (laughs) and I was like, that's cool. We did not plan this. It's just the universe aligning. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be talking about Halloween today on the 31st on our 31st episodes. It's just meant to be. When we noticed that one of our episodes was going to come out on Halloween because of our Tuesday release schedule, that's when it kind of started this whole idea of us keeping a Halloween theme for Mm -hmm. October. These have been interesting episodes for us. We did the true crime and then we had the vampires last week. Loved the vampires. And now I'm going to get into some more creepy animals and not animals, (laughs) creepy (laughs) demons that go along with Halloween. (laughs) Creepy animals. Creepy animals. I mean, there might be some creepy animals in there. Tons. Mine turns into one at night. Yes. 
work. We are going to start this episode saying thank you to all of you who are listening. Please go on your favorite podcast platform and provide us with some ratings and some hopefully positive comments. Yes. We would appreciate that just to help us get more exposure out there. I would really appreciate that. And please don't forget to send in your lab reports. We're getting ready for the next one. Please email those to lucidlabpodcast at gmail.com. Or I haven't said this in a while. You can mail us something to P.O. Box 251 East Lake, Colorado 80614. And then if you want to check us out on social media, we are on TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. (laughs) Why can we never think of things? We are all under at Lucid Lab Podcast, all one word. I'm going to be talking today about the festival of Samhain. Not Samhain. Spelled Samhain. (laughs) Gaelic is very interesting. The ancient languages, they use letters that don't make the same sounds as they do today. So yes, if you see that it is spelled like it would be pronounced Samhain, but the proper pronunciation is Samhain. Very cool. That was like me explaining idioms to my daughter last night. She had homework. Uh (laughs) She's nine. We had this big old project on idioms and I'm like, it's all right. I know you learned this, but that does not matter. (laughs) Just throw that out of your head for just this assignment. (laughs) So I have written this whole episode and I spelled it that way. So if I accidentally say Sam Hain, because that's just my American Mm -hmm. brain, you have to correct me, Jessica. Okay, I'll try. So today is Halloween and it's a celebration that is recognized all over the world. It's often associated with costumes, trick-or-treating, lots of sugar consumption. (laughs) Too much sugar consumption. Too much candy. But the true origins of Halloween or what it's actually called All Hallows Eve are frequently left untold. I prefer it that way. All Hallows Eve. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. It sounds more hocus pocusy. Yeah. It sounds more witchy. I can't think. I'm just going to read. Spooky? (laughs) Creepy? Distinguished, (laughs) like old, old timey. I don't know what word I'm looking for. Vampiric? (laughs) Witchy. Let's go with witchy. Okay. So Halloween is among the oldest traditions in the world because it touches on an essential element of the human condition, the relationship between the living and the dead. Mm-hmm. So the observance of All Hallows Eve evolved from ancient rituals marking the transition from summer to winter, thereby associating it with transformation, which is still a central theme of the holiday. Every recorded civilization has created some form of ritual observance focused on what happens to people when they die, where do they go, and how the living should best honor those who have passed or respond to the dead that seem unwilling or unable to move on. Mm-hmm. So countries around the world today celebrate Halloween in one form or another from Mexico's Day of the Dead to China's tomb sweeping holiday. So all of these happen around the same time as Halloween. Do they go and clean? Tomb sweeping? Yeah. I think so. It's kind of like their Memorial Day. That's nice. So they're just making sure that everything is kept up. They're keeping it for their family members. So the modern day observance of Halloween in countries like the U.S. and Canada, that's where the tradition is most popular. But we are all, when we celebrate Halloween or All Hallows' Eve, we are continuing the ancient tradition of Samhain, which is the Celtic Festival of the Dead. Nice. I want to celebrate the Festival of the Dead instead of Halloween. I don't (laughs) know why. It just sounds cooler. The Halloween we have here, it's for candy. We're celebrating candy. It's really just if you have kids, you celebrate Halloween, but we don't think about there's all these traditions that came about and it's, it's about the transformation and communing with the dead. A much more spiritual approach. Yes. And that's what we're going to get into today. Right. 
So the Celtic feast and seasonal festival of Samhain dates back to pre-Christian times, and it was celebrated in Ireland and other Celtic nations like Scotland and Wales. That's where all my family is from, so I'm excited to hear about this. Because one of the places I've always wanted to go is Ireland, because Mm -hmm. my mother's entire side is from Ireland. All of my family is from Ireland and Scotland and England as well. So I think as the majority of white people in America, that's (laughs) where most of us came from. (laughs) I just want to track down my mom's history because there's some... Well, you're doing her memoir. Mafia stuff in my mom's dad's past. <laughs> I've actually been to Ireland and Scotland in the past. I was there for work, so I didn't get to do all the fun things. It's definitely top of my list to go back and go all over Ireland, especially mm-hmm. now that I know what places to visit. So this will also be added, as we do for every episode, to our list of places know, to go. Right. <laughs> Samhain actually translates to mean the end of summer. Okay, quite literally. And it marks the end of the summer harvest in the beginning of winter, and it falls directly between the autumn equinox and the winter solstice. Okay. It is one of four seasonal Celtic festivals which would have been recognized by the pagans in pre-Christian Ireland. Very cool. Samhain is recognized on the 1st of November, and it's actually considered to be the new year for the Celtics. Okay. We celebrate our new year in January. It's the beginning of the calendar for them. It was when winter began, what they called the time of darkness. That was their new year. Interesting. And I mean, it is different everywhere. And technically our year was created as well. January is actually not the new year. I'll argue that with someone. (laughs) Well, I'm going to present a whole new calendar here in a minute. And it's one I want to start following. Maybe it's the one I'm talking about. It could be. Okay. So for the Celts, the arrival of winter symbolized death and darkness. And with that, it was believed that on the eve before their new year, the barrier between the land of the living and the other world, which we'll talk about in length here, was at its thinnest and it could be broken. So while the contemporary festival of Halloween is more well-known today and practiced, Samhain is still marked annually by those who seek to connect with nature, honor those who have passed, and also to shed the skin of the months past and set intentions for the months ahead. I like it. Me too. I want to talk about the Wheel of the Year, and I'm going to post this on our socials because the Wheel of the Year has me very intrigued, and I didn't have time to go into a lot of this, but it is the pagan calendar, and it's an annual cycle of seasonal festivals that are observed by the pagans of old and also the modern pagans and Wiccans of today. It marks the year's solar events, so solstices and equinoxes, and the midpoints in between them, which is where the pagan festivals like Samhain fall. Okay. After looking at the Wheel of the Year, this did give me inspiration that I would like to do more episodes like this. And my next one, I think I'm going to do around Christmas because the truth of the matter is most holidays that we celebrate today were pagan holidays that the Christians reinterpreted and used for their own purposes. That happened to Samhain and that's why it's called Halloween now. They're like Uh, bratty little kids (laughs) who just can't come up with something on their own and they steal it from everyone. I don't want to harp on Christianity like we do <laughs> every single funny. episode, but this makes me want to go back to kind of the older ways because they were more in touch with nature. I feel, too, that when it comes to Christianity in certain areas, they adopt in a way whatever was there prior as a way of assimilation as well and bringing people into Christianity. Yes. So it's just a blend of a bunch of different things to make everyone happy. And you'll see that with Samhain. 
So to the ancient Celts, the year had two what they called hinges. These were Beltane, which was the 1st of May, and Samhain, which was the 1st of November. And these two days were the most magical, but also frightening times of the whole year. Is that because the veil is thin? Yes. Okay. So these are the two days. So the ancient Celts divided the year into those two halves and the lighter half and the darker half. And they held four celebrations to mark the changing seasons. And I would love to go into all four of these, as I said before. So the first one is Imbolc, which is celebrated at the 1st of February. And that is halfway between the winter solstice and the spring equinox. Beltane is halfway between the spring equinox and the summer solstice. And that is celebrated on May 1st. And then Lunasa is halfway between the summer solstice and fall equinox, and that is celebrated August 1st. Okay. And then we got Samhain. For the ancient Celts, time began in darkness, so with each 24-day commencing at dusk. So that's why it's moved into October 31st, if that makes sense. So their November 1st is what we would consider as October 31st in our calendar. Okay. So the Celtic people were very superstitious, and they were in awe of times and places that they considered to be in between. So their holy sites were any border places, think like the shore between land and water, bridges, boundaries between territories, especially when they were marked by bodies of water, crossroads, thresholds, things like that, they would be considered special. Portals. Holy times were also these border times. So twilight and dawn were the markings of the transitions of night and day. And then Beltane and Samhain marked the transitions of summer and winter. It was a time for making winter preparations. Crops were harvested and animals were rounded up from the fields either to be sacrificed or lodged for the winter and used for breeding. How do they decide whose food? The plumpers? (laughs) I think we go into a little bit more about that here in a minute. So they would have feasts that would be abundant in both food and alcohol. Okay. To celebrate the harvest. It was also a sacred time to assemble and settle important business matters, such as the inauguration of new kings. Those would happen around Samhain. Debts should be repaid and trials for the more serious crimes were held. Basically, they just wanted to tie up all loose ends. Taxes. Yes. Yeah. Everything done so that they could go into this time. It was that transition, transformation, start anew, just like we do with New Year's today. Right. Even though it's not true at all. (laughs) No, we never do. We make resolutions that we don't keep. I don't anymore. Animals and food supplies needed special protection during this time. Samhain was the time when cattle, which the whole Scottish Highland economy depended on cattle, they were all brought in from their summer grazing and they would petition the gods at the time to protect the cattle during the long, hard winter. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. And then they would also petition the gods to protect their stores of food because they knew how important it was. It's very hard winters over there. Right. So at the beginning of the Samhain festival, all fires were to be extinguished in Ireland. So does that mean it'd be really dark outside? Yes. Okay. And then the Druids, which I could do a whole episode on the Druids. They're very, very interesting. So those were the ancient Celtic priests. They would be the ones to come and light a new fire because it's all about transformation. Okay. They would have decided what animals were going to be held for the winter and what animals were going to be sacrificed. They would start the bonfire, which is actually how we got the word bonfire is because it was the bone fire to sacrifice your animals. They're going to eat them? They're going to burn their bones. Okay. They're eating all of the animals at the feast and then they're burning their bones. Okay. I'm like, what's happening? (laughs) So they would start the one large fire, and we'll talk about where that fire is set here because there's whole mythology behind that. And then from that one mother fire, all the other fires throughout the land would be lit. Ah, a passing of the torch. 
Exactly. Gotcha. It's so interesting how some of our yeah. euphemisms or whatever come from things like this. Like bonfire means bonfire. That makes sense to me now. Right. And I'm imagining a massive fire. A massive fire. You could see it from all over. And it was set at the highest hill, which we will talk about because mm. it's where the goddess started. Her name is Jessica. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no. Her name is much harder to pronounce. <laughs> Mine's the easier version. (laughs) Now, with the Druids, they did not write things down. And this is something that comes up many times. It was all oral history. Mm, The only time that we really learned about Samhain and what the Druids practiced was when the Roman Empire actually invaded Ireland and, and burned all the trees and took the Druids down. But they started writing down their history at that time. So what we know today is only what was interpreted by the Romans coming in so and I'm sure there's some bias in there somewhere always discrimination so we don't even know what's right so there's a lot of mystery still around the ancient festival of Samhain but historians believe the festivities included animal sacrifices as I already mentioned dancing and the donning of costumes made from the animal skins that were sacrificed and possibly even wearing the animal heads I'm assuming these are outfits made from the previous year because that would be a lot of work to do in one day. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Or maybe they just put the bloody head on top. Everybody had their stations. (laughs) Samhain was considered an auspicious time for the Druids to practice divination since the connection to the spirit world was stronger than usual. The lifting of the veil between the other world and the physical world meant that Samhain was also considered to be a perilous time for the ancient Celts. Spirits, both kind and malevolent, could act with more powerful agency on the human world. Have you ever heard of liminal spaces? Yeah, but now I don't know. I didn't know what they were. So the concept of liminality, or the in-between, was an integral component of Celtic spirituality. Many of the important events in their lineage took place in these liminal spaces. So it's sort of like the stranger things in between. Yeah, the upside down. The upside down. A little bit. It's represented in so many things, whatever you call it and what you want to call it is completely different. Like in the Insidious movies. Yes. The dream world could be considered a liminal space. Or, and I've brought this movie up to you before, Doctor Strange. Yes. He trains in this liminal space. It's where magic happens. It's where magic happens. Samhain did not simply mark the change from summer to winter, but it represented that transitional period in between the two seasons. And so therefore, they believe Samhain was without time. It didn't belong to summer or winter. It was this liminal space. And that's why it's magical. So the human realm was no longer bound by the rules of the physical world. And perhaps for that reason, Samhain is also thought to have been a time of peace. That's why they felt comfortable celebrating. It was not the time for trivial problems or human quarrels. They wanted to set all those aside and really focus on this time and be spiritually connected because the spiritual realm was so close. I'm assuming then that's why they finished up with all of the dirty work right before it. (laughs) I think so. Okay. So reincarnation was also an important aspect of the Celtic worldview. The Celts did not identify a particular place that one went to after death, and they had no concept of heaven or hell. Interesting. Instead, the Celts believed there was a home for their supernatural figures a place where humans occasionally strayed during life or where they Mm -hmm. rested in between lives. Okay. I love this. That's what we've been talking about. (laughs) Yes, this is what I hope. Right. They refer to this place as the other world. Okay. 
It did not exist separately from our world. It was side by side. We have that idea in a lot of different ways, parallel universes, but this is a specific place that's just for our souls to park it for a while. While we're going in between lives and then the supernatural, the gods, the goddesses, and all the other supernatural beings we'll talk about live there. Okay. At Samhain, you have the opportunity to maybe pass into the other world as a human. Just to say hi or stay? Well, we'll talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) So these realms were protected by strong magic, and they were usually hidden to normal human sight. The other world was also a place where humans were given sacred gifts. So if you did go into the other world, you could interact with the gods and goddesses and perhaps come back with something to bring to the human realm. They're like, ooh, you figured it out. You win. Yes. a special power. (laughs) (laughs) Basically. Actually, that's my next thing. These gifts would allow the visitor to bring back a higher state of consciousness to the Mm. everyday world of humans. Except for those that just like trip into a portal. There's a rock in the way and they fall (laughs) through and they're like, where Where am am I? (laughs) I want that to happen to me. Because that's the only way we're getting there. (laughs) Another name for the other world was Tirnanog. And that meant land of eternal youth. Sounds pretty compelling. I want to go. That's where the vampires live. Yes. That's where all supernatural beings live. Okay. So yes, the vampires would come from the other world. Now, other world, while I'm making it sound all sweet and cheery, there's... Vampires. (laughs) There's a scary part to the other world as well. Right. Because there's dark and light, right? Everywhere that we go. I'm just picturing Narnia now. (laughs) (laughs) Can we go through a closet? The many goddesses of the other world possessed great regenerative and healing powers, often having the ability to transform into swans or songbirds or to enlist the help of those birds to accomplish good deeds. So they're all of the Disney princesses put into one. Kind of. There is, I won't go into all the gods and goddesses because I don't have time, but there is one called Bridget and she's one of the most, I guess, what's not most best. (laughs) Most best. Highest. She's one of the highest goddesses. And then Rhiannon is the other one. And she is the bird goddess. And she was known to heal the sick or ease their passage to the other side using her birds. I never thought of a Bridget as a goddess. <laughs> <laughs> and Rihanna, of course. Mm-hmm. You said Rhiannon, right? But Rhiannon, yeah. Rhiannon. Well, like Rihanna. <laughs> I mean, they always say that she smells so good, no one can ever explain it. Oh, maybe she's a goddess. Maybe she is the goddess. <laughs> There are gods as well. Gotta have those. I don't have any of the gods written down. <laughs> they are actually very goddess-based okay. religion, but there were gods as well. It, you I know, support you it. The yin and the yang. Interestingly enough, the gods were usually the ones that brought turmoil. It to, makes sense. And they were over like lightning, thunder, war. And then the goddesses were like love, beauty, wine, Unless art. you decided to rule the underworld as a she-demon like Lilith. <laughs> We will have um, females that are not so nice. The goddesses, for the most part, were on the positive side, and the gods seem to be aligned with more of the negative. Very interesting. Very interesting. So like I said, they didn't believe in heaven or hell, but they did believe in an otherworld paradise where one could learn or one could rest between lives. So if you went there while you were still in your human form, you would learn something to bring back to other humans. If you went there in between lives, it would just be a resting place. Okay. How do they ever want to leave? Do they get bored? (laughs) (laughs) Just time for their next life. Who decides? I want to know. So central to Celtic spirituality is that they felt life was meant to be lived to its fullest with the knowledge that death was simply the passageway to the other world. 
Here, one would pass their days and nights immersed in beauty, peace, and love while waiting for the call to return to the school we call life. I guess I just answered what you said. Okay. (laughs) Reincarnation, though, because we've talked about this a couple times. Yes. If our duty is to learn here, then I imagine there is this supernatural school where we go back as professors and tell everybody because what is the point? To prepare everyone else. Yeah. What are we learning? What are we learning if we're just just taking it back for ourselves? (laughs) So it feels like there's some kind of conference that's held every time someone comes back. There has to be. There has to be something other than just sitting there eating grapes. and. But I just feel like we're not learning enough because like, look at the world is burning. Yikes. Maybe it's the gods. Maybe. Causing a record. Shooting lightning bolts and crap. <laughs> so now I'm going to go back to the bonfire and the common custom to light the Samhain fires. And this is still done today on what is called the Hill of Ward. And this is in Meath, Ireland. Now, the Hill of Ward is important because it comes from the goddess Clogda. And so I want to talk about Clogda because you should never talk about Samhain without mentioning Clogda. I saw this everywhere that I was researching. They're like, if you don't mention Clogda, then you haven't done your research. So I want to make sure that she's in our episode. Okay, Like clogs? It's spelled T-L-A-C-H-T-G-A. So Clogda. Don't expect to read Gaelic and know (laughs) (laughs) what it sounds like. (laughs) No, not at all. You would never guess. So Clogda's Hill is, like I said, in Meath, Ireland, and that is where the first large bonfire is lit today. The first. Yes. It's one of uh, several important sites in Ireland, others being Tara, Telltown, and Uznich. Okay. It was originally known as Clogda's Hill, but became or was renamed Hill of Ward by some local landowner who owned it back in the day. Was his last name Ward? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Now, when you are on the Hill of Ward, you can see these other important sites that I just mentioned from that hill. So when they would light the one fire and then they would carry it to the other important sites like Tara and Mm -hmm. Telltown, you could see them all from the Hill of Ward. So it was like this holy effect across the island of Ireland. Was it only used for holy purposes or was it also a way to warn the rest of the island of something impending Everything I see is it was lit for these sacred festivals and only the Druids were the ones and they would dart at one bonfire and then carry it to the next. What if it goes out? Mm. Was that (laughs) unanswered? So Tara was 12 (laughs) miles away. Fire would be brought from Clogda to Tara, possibly by boat. So it wasn't separate people at separate areas lighting it. It was was a march to each one. Yes. So it was this whole tradition. Okay. This is what we believe happened. This was not written down once again. This is what the Druids believed the ritual was, and that's what they actually carry on today. So if you go to Ireland at Samhain, the Druids will light a large bonfire at Clogda Hill, Hill of Ward, whatever you want to call it, and then carry it across the island. Wow. Does it say what they're carried on? Are they big torches? Or is it a lantern situation? I'm not real sure how they carry the fire. Oh, darn. (laughs) I'm just picturing them all like holding their arms around it to keep the wind. I know, I'm worried about it. (laughs) I see the big 12 miles is a while. That is. On a boat. Right. What if they drop it? It goes in the water and they're like, oh shit. Now it's done by helicopter. (laughs) I don't know how they do it today. (laughs) If you're from Ireland, you can let us know. The important part for me was to talk about Clogda herself. Okay. So who was Clogda? There's several stories about her, and the meaning of her name is Earth Spear, probably relating to lightning. Okay. So Clogda was a druidess of considerable power and importance. Clogda was the daughter of McGraw, who lived on Valencia Island in Kerry, Ireland. He could grow to enormous size while his breath could cause tremendous storms, turning men to stone. 
He is said to have lived during the reign of 19 kings with his lifespan stretching back to the time of Christ on earth. Clogda and her father could travel the world on a fabulous spinning wheel of fire that could easily transport them. Hmm. McGraw sought out knowledge and learning like few before him, and it was in this manner that he and Clogda traveled to study under Simon Magus, who is actually mentioned in the Bible as Simon the Sorcerer. Okay. So Simon the Sorcerer and Magroy continued with their study of magic and sorcery and sent Clogda out into the world to gather as much knowledge as she could. Upon her return, they realized that her knowledge now surpassed their own. (laughs) They don't like that. Darn it. They were outraged, and such was their jealousy that they set the three sons of Simon the Sorcerer upon Clogda, (laughs) raping her. Because they were pissed that she knew too much. I'm not even talking. I'm just making faces at her. <laughs> because from the dawn of time. Even <laughs> goddesses. And she wasn't a goddess yet. She was just a druidess at this time. Okay. But of course she's going to go learn more. She's, she's just <laughs> exploring the world. And they're sitting there. And they're sitting there staring into a fire or something. <laughs> <laughs> so Clogdo Jeez. was raped by Simon's three sons. And then she found herself pregnant. She returned to Ireland and... She gave birth to three sons, and it was on the hill in County Meath, Ireland, that Clogda brought her three sons into the world. And it was also there that she died in childbirth. That's why it's important. Mm-hmm. Okay. She was unable to sustain her life in the face of the grief and despair she felt from the indignity that she had endured and from her the rape father, and having the children. And her father allowed it. Her father allowed it. Because he was jealous of his daughter. Men's egos. <laughs> right. Okay, did she have... So she had three sons. But were they triplets or these separate pregnancies? They were triplets. Okay. And these three boys became the rulers of three of the largest provinces of Ireland that I will not try to pronounce. Okay. It was said that as long as their names were remembered in Ireland, that they would be safe from the domination by strangers. Of course, they were indeed forgotten, and Ireland, as we all know, has had... Very bloody history. They've been taken over by many. So they believe it was because Clogda's sons were not remembered. remembered. Just forgotten. Just like the old ways are forgotten here, too. And then someone found their names in a floating glass bottle in the ocean. And that's why Ireland is now (laughs) their own country. It all came around full circle. In the Celtic mythology, spirituality, three is a very important number. Mm -hmm. So because she had a triple birth, she was defiled by three men there was a lot of threes in her life they felt like that resembled another one of their goddesses so Clogda became linked with the symbolic death and rebirth of the land at Samhain the belief is that when Ireland was invaded there was a cause to try and cover up the fact that most of the pagan religions were goddess worshiping religions I wonder why that would be though I mean just from future generations Because you can't make someone forget right then and there. Yes. So there was an active effort to rewrite history. And this has come up, I feel like, in other things that I've looked at over the years. And even in movies, I think that we've seen they tried to hide goddesses and made everything, you know, patriarchal. Oh, yeah. Male-centered. I believe that's most of the world. And that's why we're in chaos. Because goddesses were the kind, loving ones, and we gave it all over to the gods instead. We didn't give it. They took it Mm -hmm. and raped them to get it. Many people in Ireland believe that Clogda was a goddess, and then her story had been rewritten to just be a druidess. Okay. So she she didn't elevate to goddess status. She already was one. Yes. Okay. 
That's what some believe. They also know that there were great efforts when Ireland was overtaken and the Celts were driven out. This is a really sad story. To me, the Druids and the Celts and the things that they did to them is very reminiscent of what colonizers did to America, to the Native Americans. The same thing happened to the Celts yeah, all I, across. And they were driven. They burned their trees because the Druids worshipped trees. Uh, and they burned all their trees down Avatar. and just did horrible things. The moment you mentioned oral traditions, I immediately thought of Native Americans. So there's a lot of similarities going on here. So modern day Wiccans and pagans, there is a whole reinvigoration of Clogda and bringing her back into the limelight because she is actually considered the goddess of Halloween. Okay. She's the one that brought Halloween because Samhain happened because she died on that hill of Ward and she birthed those three children who became like the top provinces in Ireland. She really started the whole goddess worship at the time with the Druids. That's cool. She was almost forgotten. They've done many things over the years to try and write her from the books, including mm-hmm renaming it from Clogda's Hill to Hill of Ward. All of that seems to be like this conspiracy, which we all know about those nowadays. I know. I don't trust anything anymore. (laughs) I hate it. We try to be on the right side of history, but the truth is, is none of us know the true history of anything. No. Because there is a constant effort to cover everything up. And why? Power. So I just wanted to bring Clogda up because she is written out of many stories, many Celtic mythologies and even with the discussion of Samhain. So I am honoring her Good, and bringing her back. She's the reason it sounds like. <laughs> and she got killed because she was smarter than all the dudes and that sucks. <laughs> Not just killed. Yes. Crazy. So with that, I want to move into something not as dark and let's talk about the traditions and the rituals that are associated with Samhain. So many of the Samhain rituals derive from pagan and Druid customs. It's a time of prophecies, of disguising oneself to avert evil, performing rites of protection from the dead and otherworldly spirits. The ancient Druid practice was to circle the tribal Samhain bonfire with the skulls of their ancestors who would protect them from demons that come out at Samhain. That makes me concerned for the ancestors' heads. Where are they I mean, kept? what else are they doing with them? I guess they don't need them anymore. They reincarnated. That's true. They're in the other world having a jolly old time. And they don't need their skulls anymore. So I'm going to talk about some of these traditions and they're going to directly relate with what we do at Halloween today. So the first one I'm going to talk about is guising, spelled G-U-I-S-I-N-G. So at Samhain, departed loved ones were expected and welcomed to come out of the other world to visit their Oh, so there was a practice of setting out favorite foods for your dead loved ones. But while you may have set that out for your loved ones, it could also attract many other kinds of spirits, some which may have never had human form because that veil is thinner than ever. So you might attract elves, fairies. Now, fairies, we're going to talk about in length here in a minute. Fairies are not Tinkerbell. Oh, I know. (laughs) I know. I know the story. They're quite scary. And other dark energies were just as likely to pay a visit as those you longed to see at your table. Those devilish little elves. (laughs) Furthermore, there was a very good chance that the spirit of a person one may have wronged would also make an appearance. Mm -hmm. So in order to deceive the spirits, people would darken their faces with ashes from the bonfires. That would be the practice known as guising. And at later times, it developed into even wearing masks. So that these other people couldn't find them. 
Yes, exactly. So a living person would recognize the spirit of a loved one and then could reveal themselves and be like, it is me. Hold on. Let me wash my face. (laughs) (laughs) But otherwise, they could remain safe from the unwanted attention of those darker spirits. Hmm. I get the idea, but I just feel that some of these spirits would be smarter than some ash on your face. (laughs) (laughs) Like they just know your essence. One of the other big traditions at Samhain was called the Dumb Supper. And this goes back to what I already mentioned with guising. So acknowledgement of the ancestors and the dead in general was central to Samhain celebrations. And as I said, they would leave offerings of food, which was commonplace. You set a place at the table for your ancestors. Now, if you did not pay appropriate respects to the dead, such as you went and ate that food or somebody ate that food that was left for the dead members, then when you passed away, you would not be invited to suppers in the future and you would be basically ostracized. What if you're really, really hungry? (laughs) I mean, they did go through some problems over there at one point. (laughs) You're like, but there's a whole potato. (laughs) It's not just potatoes. They're like, wow, I get to eat meat for once. And you're giving it away to someone who's not going to actually come and eat it. That's probably why they set this tradition up, because food was getting people away. Mm -hmm. But what was going to happen to it? It was just going to go to waste. It's going to go to waste. I I mean, it's for your ancestors. I mean, this isn't Casper's situation. It's just (laughs) not going to go straight through them and hit the ground all gross. (laughs) So at the Dumb Supper, the dinner was served in absolute silence. And one place was set at the head of the table for the ancestors with this food. This place was served food and drink without looking directly at the seat because seeing the dead would bring misfortune. So how do you even know if you're pouring the wine in the glass? I'm finding some contradictions here. (laughs) (laughs) Such as? Such as if you go to the other side, why is that a good thing? But if you see them on this side, it's a bad thing. Right? Then why are they coming? Why are they invited? (laughs) I'm confused. (laughs) Children would play games to entertain the dead. While not looking at them? (laughs) (laughs) While adults would update the dead on the past year's news. So you're talking to them, but not looking at them. Afterwards, the untouched plate and cup were taken outside for the pukas, which we'll talk about here in a minute, and left in the woods. That night, doors and windows might be left open for the dead to come in and eat cakes that would also be left out for them. Hmm. So you would leave some dessert after you fed them at supper. In Scotland, Samhain is considered the night of the great Sabbat for the witches. I like it. (laughs) Now we're getting somewhere. This is up your alley. Okay. On Hollow Moss is what they would call it. The witches of Scotland would gather together to celebrate, prophesy, and cast spells. Mm. Tradition has it that on this night, they can be seen flying through the air on broomsticks and eggshells. Wow. Or riding black cats. Poor kitties. Ravens or horses. Did they miniaturize themselves? They must have. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I was thinking. The rural people did not dare step outside their doors for fear of this night. As tale is told in different areas, that was Scotland. In Ireland, they have a witch called the Morrigan. I'm not going to cover her here. It's a whole nother tale. And then in other traditions, there was one called the blue-faced hag of winter. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's all of us. (laughs) So during Samhain, those with the second sight were often sought that night for traditional fortune-telling. Mm-hmm. These persons were invited to gatherings to entertain guests with their gifts. One method was to prick an egg and let the contents drip into a glass of clear water. Okay, I know this one. The seer then could read the shapes, much like a crystal ball, and predict the person's future. There's a lot of things having to do with eggs, which makes sense. It's what they had. <laughs> well, not just what they had, but there's a lot of symbolism around an egg if you think about it. Yes. 
Apples were also considered the fruit of the other world. They were often used for magic and fortune telling. So a young woman would peel an apple all in one pairing and throw it over her shoulder on Samhain. The peeling would take the shape of the first initial of the man she would marry. Couldn't she just wiggle it into a certain letter? (laughs) (laughs) She's all like, I mean, uh, otherwise, what is it going to be? It's going to be a G or an O. (laughs) An S, maybe. (laughs) An S. So eating an apple in front of a mirror while combing your hair will conjure your true love's image in the mirror. Oh, Another one of their thoughts. That's an easy one to do. <laughs> Everyone's always trying to do some spells and it requires too many things. Just go get an apple. And comb your hair. And comb your hair at the same time. Another tradition, we'll all know this one, is dunking for apples. So apples are placed in a tub or barrel of water and dunkers will try to retrieve those apples with their teeth. Those who succeed will have good fortune in the following year. It's because a lot of people didn't have teeth back then. I was about to say, or you already have good fortune because you have teeth. Exactly. (laughs) It was kind of discriminatory if you think about it. Hazelnuts were also used for divination purposes. Mm. So two groups of hazelnuts were placed within the hearth fire. One group was marked with the names of the village's eligible maidens and the other with the eligible bachelors. As the nuts would pop, the names of the pairs were romantically linked. Or is that just how they chose who would marry who? Probably. The hazelnut said it. And you're like, I don't want to marry him. (laughs) That is not. Too bad. You popped at the same time. (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) Yes, it probably was just a way to like match people up. They didn't want to make decisions. So they left it up to a completely inanimate object. (laughs) (laughs) On a more somber note, people sometimes placed a hazelnut with their initials on them into the hearth fire. And if the nuts were missing the next morning, the unlucky person would not survive the year. What, what if someone believed. just wanted you to die and then they, they came just pick and it stole up. your nuts? And then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy Holy and shit. you think you're going to die. That's crazy. Some of these things. I know. So why was the hazelnut chosen? It was considered a sacred tree in both Irish and Scottish mythology. Okay. It was the source of all wisdom. Oh. I just relate it to the size of a squirrel's brain. That's what I keep thinking of. And when I keep making jokes, guys, I'm never making fun of people's traditions. No. <laughs> it's just not at fun. all. It's, it's fun just to funny. talk about this stuff. I think of Nutella when I think of hazelnuts, so that's where I'm at. I tasted Nutella for the first time like two weeks ago, ever, because I'm the person under the rock in a lot of situations. (laughs) You are. (laughs) So sacrifice was another big tradition at Samhain, as we said before. It was highly practical for them to eat the animals, but it was also a time when they would make the offerings to the gods to protect them through the dark, harsh winter months. Sacrifice of pigs was common, and it's likely that in earlier times, humans were also sacrificed. Yep, we see that. Archaeological remains actually support that theory. Okay. I did read a little bit about human sacrifice with the Celts, and it sounded like they would sacrifice... Okay, I'm not laughing because humans were dying, but they would sacrifice like their leaders that weren't doing very well. They weren't Uh, just sacrificing like innocent people. (laughs) Seems like a great choice. I'm like, can we go sacrifice some of our politicians? We have hundreds that we can get rid of right now. (laughs) Let's do a Samhain sacrifice. (laughs) Make the world a better place. You're bringing about the purge here, Kendra. Careful. (laughs) I thought you were going to say the one hazelnut that was left in the fire. (laughs) (laughs) Get sacrificed. That would suck. You're like, Like and now you must burn. Who said there was always an even amount of women and men? So there is actually sacrifice still today in Ireland. It's known uh, as the bleeding for St. Martin, and they actually sacrifice hens at the beginning of November. So we believe, and why I say we, I'm not a historian, but historians (laughs) believe that that sacrifice is tied back to these from ancient times of Samhain. Okay. 
I don't know why they sacrificed a hen. It's called bleeding for St. Martin. It sounds very Christian now because it's got the saints. When I think of sacrificing a hen, I think of money because it's a lot cheaper to sacrifice a hen versus a pig or a cow. Yeah, you need that meat from if you've raised a pig and a cow, you've spent Mm -hmm. a lot more resources to raise them. The other traditional item at Samhain is the barnbrack cake, and this is still eaten today. It's considered the traditional Halloween cake in Ireland, and it's a fruit bread, and each member of the family gets a slice. Hidden in the cake is a piece of rag, a coin, and a ring. Oh, I've heard of this. If you get the rag, then your financial future is doubtful. Oh, shit. If you get the coin, then you can look forward to a prosperous year. And then getting the ring is a sure sign of impending romance or continued happiness. Okay. You can still get these today. In a lot of ways, this reminds me of the king cake in New Orleans for Mardi Gras. Have you ever heard of the king cake? I've never heard of the king cake. They hide a baby in it. (gasps) And if you, oh, it's like a little a plastic, plastic baby, baby. <laughs> okay. a real baby. Well, as soon as you said that, I was like, what? But then at the same time, the image popped into my head. So I must have seen it somewhere. And it's good luck if you get the little plastic baby. Should we do this fruit bread? That would be fun. It would be fun. But then we're dooming one of three of us to I think very we bad should- future. <laughs> I think we should get together on Halloween and do all of these except for the human sacrifice. <laughs> Let's throw some hazelnuts in the fire and see. Well, not that. I, don't, I don't have a fire. <laughs> <laughs> I do. So next year, we're going to do a Samhain party. Are we being very insensitive right now? We have Irish ancestry. Well, that's true. I did find one other tradition, and this doesn't really go with Samhain, but I wanted to mention it just because I think it's cool because we're talking about Halloween. I want to talk about the jack-o'-lantern. Yeah, Jack. So this comes from an Irish folktale long after Samhain, and it was the Irish folktale of Stingy Jack. And he was a clever drunk and con man who fooled the devil into banning him from hell. How do you do that? I don't know. Because of his sinful life, he knew he could not enter heaven. After his death, he roamed the world carrying a small lantern made of a turnip with a red hot ember from hell inside to light his way. I remember this turnip. Yes. So scholars believe that the legend evolved from sightings of what they called Will of the Wisp. Is that a tree? It's a swamp and marsh grass that would glow in moonlight. And so sounds pretty how, you know, the scientists want to describe it. But on Halloween, the tradition became the Irish would hollow out turnips and carve them with faces and then place a candle inside. That seems so much more difficult than a pumpkin for some reason to me. They didn't have pumpkins over there. Oh, okay. And so they believed if you lit the turnip or the jack-o'-lantern, it would protect you from spirits like Stingy Jack. So they would carry it around with them if they went out on Samhain or Halloween. Well, maybe that's what we can do this year. Carve a turnip? Yeah. So I did read something, and maybe I have it further down, so I may end up repeating myself. But the reason that it is no longer turnips and it is now pumpkins is that when the Irish migrated to America, they didn't have turnips as easily here, and they did have pumpkins. And so they started carving pumpkins instead of turnips. And a lot more space to cut. To draw, yes. <laughs> Turnip, you're not really putting much of a face. No. So let's talk about the other world creatures of Samhain. At Samhain, time, as I said, lost all meaning and the past, present, and future were one. The dead and the denizens of the other world walked among the living. It was a time of fairies, ghosts, demons, and witches. Leprechauns. I'm not talking about leprechauns in this episode. They didn't come out at Samhain for whatever reason. Oh. I think they must be, maybe they're associated with the May festival. Possibly. Yeah, that makes that more sense. That make more sense. Okay. So winter itself was considered the season of ghosts, and Samhain was the official night when they were all released from the other world. That kind of also reminds me of American Horror Story. Yes. How they get the one night out. Mm. They get Halloween night out. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, that's when they're released. They have all of winter to So you have to hide around. from them for the entirety of winter? Well, they're most active on Samhain. On Samhain, often a torch would be lit and carried around the boundaries of the home and farm to protect the property and the residents against the spirits. In Ireland, people stayed clear of graveyards on October 31st. They believed that if you happened to hear footsteps behind you as you passed a cemetery, you should not turn around because looking back would give the ghost or the dead the right to follow you home. Ooh, I thought you were going to say take their body. <laughs> <laughs> so banshees are probably one of the most famous Irish spirits. The name banshee comes from the Irish word banna, which means a woman who calls out. In fact, the sound that a banshee makes is believed to be similar to that of a woman crying or wailing over someone's death. The banshee is a spirit who appears before the death of someone in their family. Banshees are usually described as female and travel through sound or smell. The banshee's wail is a premonition of death and therefore should not be ignored by those who live near where she cries out for help. In some cases, she appears as an older woman with long white hair and red cheeks. At other times, she appears as a young woman with long black hair, blue eyes, and pale skin. She may be beautiful or old or even bird-like. The banshee has been seen in Ireland on many occasions since ancient times, and she is said to be the spirit of someone who died violently and very young. Wasn't that the Yuri? Yeah, it's very. we see this in almost every culture. There is a name for this almost everywhere. Terrible screams often accompany the appearance of this spirit as it flies through windows looking for its next victim. Legends state that the banshee could be killed by humans at Samhain. Okay. So this was the time if you had a banshee. I was reading there are certain families that have been haunted by banshees, their whole legacy. One of them was the O'Brien family. Oh. And they had a banshee that would show up in their area. Right. So they were family cursed. area. They were. And she would wail and a member of their family would die. The belief was that some banshees would attach to certain families. Maybe it's because someone from their family did her wrong and they're the reason she's dead. I think that so makes a lot of sense. So she tries to ruin every generation after that. So she haunts them because yep. she's not at rest. So the puka, I mentioned them earlier as being the ones that they would set the food out for. So they were magical and mischievous spirits that roamed freely around the highways and byways of Ireland at Samhain. They were furry. Oh. These creatures were shapeshifters who could take the form of goats, cows, horses, rabbits, cats, dogs, and sometimes people. They were capable of bringing good or bad fortune to the Celts. They said you could always tell when a puka was impersonating a human because they would invariably retain an animal feature or two. So maybe oh. they would have hooves <laughs> or ears or something that looked weird. Furry nose and that's it. They couldn't get rid of it. <laughs> Regardless of the form they took, they had a bad habit of wandering off with children. Maybe these were just creeper dudes. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's like, just a hairy dude. It's funny to describe it as a bad habit. <laughs> Whoops, I did that. Habit. Sorry. Puka were known to be very mischievous and especially loved to harass travelers by running out and acting like they're a deer <laughs> and then attacking them as a human. For instance, it would try to entice you to climb on its back. <gasps> so I guess if it was a horse or a goat, the horse, it's like, get up, <laughs> get on my back. <laughs> it said if it tried to entice you to climb on its back and you did so, you'd then get a wild ride and the creature wouldn't harm you anymore. But if you refused, then I guess they ran away with you. There's a few different things out there about pukas. Wow. So during Samhain, households that wanted to be spared from the puka would leave the food offerings, as I said before. It was critical to leave them far away from your house 
and children to protect them just in case. Yeah, because they have a really bad habit (laughs) of running off with children. (laughs) To this day in Ireland, there are still some who sprinkle a bit of grain in their yards to keep the puka happy on Halloween. They have to count it, don't they? It doesn't say that, but I'm wondering after yours if maybe that's why. Yeah. Or they're just feeding them. A few grains of rice? Of grain, like oats or something, because they're horses or goats or rabbits. They don't eat them, though. Sounds like you don't. They just run off with you. (laughs) Oh, okay. I mean, we don't know what happened to those They probably take them to the other world. Okay. The Avertok was another creature that came out on Samhain. We went over that in Jessica's Vampire Tale, so I'm not going to talk about him. He was a little dwarf that was buried twice upside, and then when they finally buried him face down, he went away. Thorns and the big old rock on top of his grave, and he was just an evil little dude. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Now, something else interesting when we're talking about vampires in Ireland, and I don't know that you went over this, so I'm, I'm going to bring it up because there were several different legends. There's another legend, and this was brought out by a man named Bob Curran, and he was a lecturer in Celtic history at the University of Ulster. And according to him, the castle Dracula is actually in Ireland. And I saw that Bram Stoker came from Ireland. Yes, I brought up how a lot of people believe that the entire Dracula story is based on Vlad the Impaler. But a lot of people argue, no, it's based on Ireland and on the Opertak. Mm-hmm. A lot of the influences from there. So Curran's story that has to do with Dracula and the castle was that it was a great tyrant and the people living near him wanted him gone. They were scared of him. And so they coaxed another chieftain may have been the same Finn Miguel that I mentioned, to go up and kill him. He succeeded in killing him and burying him, but he escaped his grave, and then he went to the villagers demanding a bowl of blood. So this is an interesting take. Mm -hmm. He had to be killed, once again, two times, so very similar to the same story. And then what finally caused him to die was a sword made from a yew tree and wielded by a druid. So fairies, I think, are known to come from the Celtic mythology. I think that's where they started. Okay. But the fae in Celtic mythology is, like I said before, not Tinkerbell. No. They would migrate from the other world on Samhain night. And the Celts believed that if you had family members that were captured by the fairies the previous year, on the night of Samhain, this would be the time that you could win them back by snatching them off of the fairy mounts as they rode by. So they believed that their ancestors or family members who were captured by the fae would be riding along with them on Samhain and you might be able to grab them, rescue them. (laughs) Now the Dullahan... It's another really interesting creature. And we all know the legend of Sleepy Hollow. Yes. So he's a terrifying creature. In short, they believe that Dullahan was death itself. It was permitted to speak just once on each journey it undertakes. And they can only call the name of the person whose death it seeks. On particularly dark and cloudless nights, its figure might be seen riding through the Irish countryside at breakneck speed with a whip made out of human spines (gasps) atop a massive black stallion. Sparks and flames shooting from the hellish steed's nostrils. Yeah. In some parts of the country, the Dullahan would actually drive a huge black coach instead of a horse. This coach would be drawn by six black horses and traveling at such an unearthly speed, often the bushes along the roadside would catch fire. Now, the Dullahan has no head, Mm -hmm. at least no head attached to its shoulders. The beast carries its head either on the saddle of its horse or upraised in its hand. Which is talented. (laughs) (laughs) It is said that the Dullahan's head has a glow 
and the appearance of moldy cheese. (laughs) (laughs) It has a repulsive grin and small black lifeless eyes, and it searches for its victims by holding the severed head above him. That's much more a terrifying Grim Reaper than the typical Grim Reaper. Way (laughs) more, yes. So the Doolahan is coming out looking for that one person, the name that he uttered, but if you happen to see him running around... It's best to try and make sure he doesn't notice because he will strike you blind in one eye is the legend if you see him. But if you are the one he's coming for, nothing can protect you. (laughs) (laughs) So it's the Grim Reaper, basically. Yeah. And he's considered part of the Fae. So it is said that he has a fear, an abnormal fear of gold objects and gold jewelry. So even a small amount of gold may drive him away. Okay. So just be fancy. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So the foulest and most dreaded of the realm of fairies is the Slua. So I just went over the Doolahan, which was death itself. The Slua was even more feared. What is it? Like tortured. The Celts believed even death deferred to the Slua. If you look at like the hierarchy of otherworldly races. So the Slua meant host in Irish. And it's a group formed from the darkest, most vile creatures imaginable. The Slua were considered to be the fae that had gone amok. (laughs) Which is a fun (laughs) word. Amok, amok. Amok, amok, amok. (laughs) They were believed to be some ill-begotten form of fairy folk with no reason, no loyalty, and no mercy. They were thought to be, at some point, human. They exist on stealing the souls of the living, and especially the dying. They lay in wait for nightfall, and once the sun has set, they strike out, appearing to be a vast and ominous flock of large ravens or other birds. Mm. They flap their wings and screech, and then they descend for an attack. So they're soul eaters. Yes, not just your soul. soul takers to another place. Yes. So they keep you from going anywhere. I guess they would stop your reincarnation. Yeah, I understand why they are feared more than death. The Slua continued even past Samhain and into the Christian belief system. And they believe that that would, if you weren't given your last rites quickly, that the Slua would come and steal your soul. Well, then it seems important to capture this Slua and do some kind of ritual so that all the souls can be released. If you can. Can you cut open its chest or something? I don't think it tells us how to kill the Slua. I need to know. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm pretty sure it has some children in there and we need to go save them. So in Ireland, because of this belief in the Slua, doors and windows on the west side of houses would be kept closed if you had a sick or dying person in your house because they always came from the west. I'm just racking up all kinds of superstitions I need to pay attention to. So living or dying, sinners or not, all souls are free-for-alls for the Slua. And once a soul is taken, there is no mercy, no release to the afterlife or the underworld, and no escape. You belong to them. You are doomed to circle the darkened skies with them and steal other souls for all of eternity. That there, doesn't sound very great. No, there has to be a way. There's always a way. You just need to find a really powerful witch. Now, the origins of the Sluol largely stem actually from Scotland and Ireland, but there are accounts of them all over other countries. They've been described in German, French, Czech, Polish, Scandinavian, Russian cultures as well. So these soul eaters, I guess, is what you would consider them, which we've heard that. Mm -hmm. So I'll tell you a story from Bara in Scotland. And they said a child was taken by the Sluol. And only after the soul of the child had been taken, the lifeless body was dropped from a great height and found outside at the back of the house the next morning. They also believed in towns that the birds would fly over. There would be a spike in the incidence of deaths among the villagers. Could be a coincidence. It could just been a large 
flock of birds, but they believe and all these other cultures believe that the slua was very real. Birds are very telling of anything going on in an area. True. So every time we see a flock of birds going somewhere, I always go, what are you doing? Where are they going? What's happening? (laughs) So now let's talk about a female vampire. Okay. We like those. There's a very good reason that the Darugu Dua is considered one of the fiercest of the many Irish creatures. Is it because children she's a woman. again, though? <laughs> <laughs> no, she comes after men, if I remember right. The legend of Darugu Dua begins at a time when arranged marriages were commonplace in Ireland. It was in the corner of Ireland that we now know as Waterford. Yeah, by her hazelnuts. <laughs> Just <Probably. kidding. laughs> The hazelnut married her to an asshole. So it was in this village in Waterford that a beautiful woman had fallen in love with a local peasant that worked on a nearby farm. They began dating, courting, whatever you want to call it, and they talked of getting married and having children. Life for the couple appeared to be going well until the girl's father learned what was going on. He was considered to be a wicked man and cared little for his daughter or her happiness. Of course. The woman's father decided long ago that he would try and profit from his daughter's beauty. She was the desire of many men, and he knew that he could use this to his advantage. The evil father knew of one man in particular that would appreciate his daughter's beauty and that would be willing to pay generously for her hand in marriage. Dracula. (laughs) The man was a local chieftain and was known for his wealth and his family's brutish ways. One night, the father traveled to meet the chieftain, unbeknownst to his daughter, and made the proposal. The chieftain knew of the woman, and he readily agreed, promising to give the father land and money in exchange for his daughter's hand. When the woman discovered what her father had promised, she was furious, but there was really nothing she could do. She couldn't defy her father. The day of the wedding arrived, and all but two were happy. The newly married bride and the local pleasant that was actually her true love, he decided on that day that he would do whatever it took to get revenge. Of all the love stories told, we have this very often. I know. Usually they don't the family vampires, <laughs> but here we go. <laughs> so the woman's husband turned out to be very violent. He used his new bride as a trophy and he would lock her away for days and weeks at a time. <sighs> Soon her hope evaporated that she would ever get out of this situation and she stopped eating and drinking and soon after she passed away. Her husband married soon after and her father, he had made all the money that he wanted. And so she passed away and no one really showed up at her funeral except for the love of her life. The peasant boy that had wanted to marry her. His hunger for revenge intensified at this point, And every time he visited her grave, he vowed to get revenge. So the spirit of the woman was filled with his rage. It forced her out of the grave, lusting for vengeance. Ooh. Her first stop was to her father's home. She arrived in his room while he was asleep and killed him in his bed. Of course he's first. It was his <laughs> idea be. to begin with. Then she moved quickly to the home of her husband the evil chieftain when she burst into his room she found him in bed with a number of women oh boy he was not missing her no it's here that the vampire legend begins the woman launched herself at the chieftain and killed him she then proceeded to suck the blood from his body Hmm. after drinking the blood of her evil husband she felt invigorated and alive this feeling gave her a hunger for blood that could not be quenched interesting has to start somewhere. The Daruga Dua actually means red blood sucker. Okay. Quite literally. <laughs> it is now said that she uses her great beauty to lure unsuspecting young men into dark corners. 
With each conquest, she got hungrier and hungrier, feasting on the blood of many men over many nights. And then she just disappeared. Why didn't she turn him into a vampire? That would have been a better ending. The love ending. of her life. I guess she got the vengeance after she's she like, killed. Maybe she just does. She's void of actual emotion anymore. And maybe she just roamed the world until he died because she disappeared. And it's actually something of a legend today in Ireland. They want to know what happened to her. Where did she go? Now she's resting in the grave with him. Some say that the grave of the young woman can be found at a place called the Tree of Strongbow in Waterford. So now I kind of want to go there. Maybe she has him now. Maybe. Maybe she walks both worlds, like you said, because they're on the other side, too. And she doesn't so come she, back to this world at this she doesn't point. Need a, she doesn't have a reason to. Yeah, because she's got her lover over there now. Yep. So the last creature I will talk about on Samhain, this is from Scotland. They had a woman known as the Lady Gwen. And on Samhain, travelers were told to watch out for the Lady Gwen. She was a forlorn woman who appeared dressed in all white. She was sometimes headless. She would pretend to be a woman, kind of a damsel in distress, okay. lost. And she would lure travelers in during the night and no one really knows what happens to them it the clown <laughs> kind <laughs> of why aren't all of these women just in white why not like hot pink <laughs> because ghosts only wear white, white. It's ridiculous <laughs> so those are all my creepy creatures of Samhain and in the Irish tales I probably could have gone into about 20 more but those are the ones that yeah. I chose for the episode today just to give you a taste of mm-hmm the mischief and evil that can go on in Samhain and what the ancient Celts believed in. It would be very awesome to go to Ireland and get to participate in some of these rituals. I want to go for all of them now. I want to go for the four big festivals. So we have to move there? And I want to become a druid. (laughs) You can actually become a druid. I was... I got caught in a rabbit hole going down the druidry.com org or something website. (laughs) (laughs) So how did Samhain transition from this festival of the dead and kind of honestly a scary tradition? (laughs) They're burning, you know, sacrifices. They're worried about the dead to Halloween. So the belief is that Christianity reached Ireland in the 5th century. The Catholic Church came in and they found it easier to convert the Celts by incorporating certain pagan Uh, celebrations into their calendar. So exactly Mm -hmm. what you said earlier. As Christianity gained a foothold in the pagan communities, church leaders attempted to reframe Samhain as a Christian celebration. The first attempt was by Pope Boniface in the 5th century. He actually moved the celebration to May 13th, which is really (laughs) dumb. Why would you try and move that? And then he specified it as a day to celebrate saints and martyrs. However, the fire festivals that they were used to having in October, November timeframe, they didn't stop. No. So then in the ninth century, Pope Gregory came in and he was like, you know what? We'll just move the celebration back to the time of their fire festivals. But then he declared it All Saints Day. Okay. Because on November 1st, you just get to decide (laughs) everything. And then he had All Souls Day set up for November 2nd. So All Souls Day, some would say, was an attempt to absorb elements of Samhain that All Saints Day may have failed to capture. All Saints Day would have been worshiping the saints, and then All Souls Day would include everybody else, your ancestors. Okay. By the 15th century is when we begin to see writings describing celebrations that more closely resemble Halloween and how we celebrate it today. 
Neither of these new holidays did away with all the pagan aspects of the celebration. October 31st became known as All Hallows Eve and contained much of the traditional pagan practices before being adopted in 19th century America through the Irish immigrants bringing their traditions across the ocean. Trick-or-treating is said to have been derived from the ancient Irish and Scottish practices in the nights leading up to Samhain. In Ireland, mumming was the practice of putting on costumes, going door-to-door, and singing songs to the dead. It almost sounds like a dark form of Christmas caroling. It does. (laughs) After singing the songs, you would be given cakes as payment. The cake where you learn what your future is. Could have been the brownback cake. Yeah. Halloween pranks also became a part of the tradition, which is where I guess the tricks came from. Because when you have people out just roaming around singing songs to the dead, they probably started doing messing with people because you're in disguises. Now in Samhain, all of those tricks were always blamed on the fairies. Oh. So convenient. Little monsters. (laughs) Christian groups throughout the years have routinely attempted to demonize Halloween. They're still doing it today. Have you seen the ones on TikTok calling it Jesus ween? (laughs) I don't know about that, but I saw one of this girl who was holding her beautiful little baby and she's like, I'm Christian, so we don't participate in Halloween, but we like to dress up. And I'm like, that's Halloween. You're participating, bitch. (laughs) Her and her daughter were dressed as Dorothy just because you don't celebrate. You're celebrating it. You are. You're celebrating the American version of Halloween, which is just dressing up and getting some damn candy. It's not worshiping the devil. There's literally nothing here (laughs) other than everybody wanting to have a spooky, weird time for one night. Right. Exactly. Stop trying to like turn it into something else. Stop. So there was an erroneous claim back in the day that Samhain was actually the Celtic god of the dead and Halloween was to celebrate the god of the dead. That was an error. It came from a poorly translated historian, but that is where we think some of that came from and why the Christians are against, not all of them, but some Christians are against Halloween today. God of the dead doesn't necessarily mean the devil. Right. People die. (laughs) There needs to be, I mean, if we're assuming there's a God everywhere, like what else? The dead just go and roam with, here, you're dead. Figure it out. (laughs) Right. It's just another life, you know? So Halloween today is not seen in the same way as Samhain. No, no way. But there has been a broad revival of Samhain going back to its traditional pagan roots. And this started in the 1980s with the growing popularity of Wicca. Mm-hmm. So Wicca celebration of Samhain takes on many forms from the traditional fire ceremonies to celebrations that embrace many aspects of modern Halloween, as well as activities related to honoring nature and your ancestors. Go Wicca. Wiccans look at Samhain as the passing of the year and incorporate common Wiccan traditions into their celebrations. The Druids also still practice the celebration of Samhain. They celebrate the dead with a festival on October 31st, and it usually features a bonfire and communion with the dead. And then we also have the American pagans who often hold music and dance celebration called Witches Balls in proximity to Samhain. Hmm. I kind of want to go to a Witches Ball. So if you're looking for a different way to celebrate the spooky season this year, you want to get more in touch with the Samhain, I actually pulled up five different ways that you can honor and celebrate Samhain in the Druidic fashion. Nice. So number one, you can light a bonfire. Just (laughs) the most traditional way. Control it. Don't do it in your backyard, maybe. Don't do it in Colorado (laughs) or Washington or anywhere that catches fire real (laughs) It's funny. They're like, please ensure you proceed with caution. Always have an adult present. (laughs) Literally, you're going to have to spend like a month to 
dig a hole into the ground this shit and out. then do that. <laughs> yeah. But that would be the most traditional way because that's how Samhain has always started. It's a fire festival. Then they're going to blame witches and Wiccans on forest fires. <laughs> so calm don't down. do it here. <laughs> you can also host a feast. I mean, who doesn't like a good party? You don't get to eat it. <laughs> just kidding. Well, you do. You, I know. Just, you leave one out for the one. <laughs> Make sure to go stick it out in the forest after, though. Yes. You don't want the yuca. For the puka. Oh, the puka. For the puka. You don't want the puka. <laughs> you can visit the Hill of Tara in Ireland if you have I a lot of money. I wish. <laughs> if you're in Ireland during the Festival of Samhain, they host an annual event for people to share in the celebration. So you don't That's have to be nice. a Druid to go to the Hill of Tara. I do believe to go to Clogda, you have to be Druid. Oh, well, that makes sense. So, I mean, it's a sacred it's, site. It's interesting. When I started looking into the Druids, it made sense about like Stonehenge and some of the other yeah. sacred sites. So I want to dive more into that when I have more time. But this time I was just focused on Samhain. You can also just light some candles. <gasps> I celebrate it every day. They say you light a candle <laughs> for those who have passed and honor them. And what the Druids said is that, you know, some may see death as morbid, but in the pagan and Wiccan and Druidic beliefs, it's part of life. It's part of life's grand plan. Mm-hmm. It's not something to be mourned. It's something to be remembered and celebrated when someone has passed on. So the last thing you can do to celebrate Samhain is to just embrace nature. Celebrate it like a true pagan. You go outdoors. You can collect leaves and embrace the elements. Take time to reflect on the end of the season of abundance and consider the opportunity of new beginnings. They suggest you have a ritual alone or with friends and release some positive affirmations for the upcoming months. Every time I take my daughter out on this walk that we do, there are a lot of old trees, at least 100 years old. And every time we go, and I don't believe it's just wind every time we go, right? the moment we start to come upon them, all their leaves shake for us. Oh, And she hugs them. And I truly do get the sense that they're aware of me and her walking the path along with them. Because it happens every time. It'll be very still and then the moment we're like within a certain amount of distance from them they shake the whole way like dogs wagging their tails when I was studying for this episode the druids that's what they worshipped were the trees and they believed that they were at one with the trees and they have their whole calendar is based on you know how we have the zodiac based on what time of year you were born you were connected to a certain tree Mm. I actually looked at mine I'm connected to the oak which was considered the most holy tree in the druid philosophy but they would spend their whole lives connecting with trees and like their whole course in life and some of them never reached it before they died was to connect with certain trees and it was really really inspiring reading about it and I believe you like you say, yeah, like they are aware of us as we talked about an NDE episode mm-hmm. and all this other. We don't give enough credit to nature. We do not. Our ancestors were way more in tune with that. And that's we've lost part of our humanity in a way or our happiness or whatever it is by not communing with nature as much as we could. And that's what I do, If I, especially if I'm out on my own. I talk to the trees. I say hello. I feel like they know me. I'm being a weirdo now to some of you, but it's true. <laughs> you have a certain sense of feeling around specific trees. It's just there. I'll give one a hello. I'll pat it. It'll wave back. <laughs> the druids were the original tree huggers. <laughs> so no matter how different present day Halloween may seem from the pagan fire festival of Samhain, the feeling of transformation and the desire to invoke the supernatural through costumes or other witchy 
things we feel like doing on Halloween, the sentiments are all the same. They transcend time and they connect modern celebrations with Samhain, that liminal space-time of transformation that was sacred to the pagans of the Celtic world thousands of years ago, and perhaps also to those of an even more ancient world before that, because we don't Mm. know where the Celts came from. That's another interesting whatever. According to a modern-day Druid, Samhain teaches us how to recognize what must die and what must live in our lives. It can bring some tough realizations, but its transformative energy gives us the opportunity to live a more authentic life. It does. I like that. Get out in nature. At its most basic level, Halloween is, or can be, a triumph of hope over fear, which is most likely what it also meant to the ancient Celts at Samhain thousands of years ago. So that is my episode about Samhain. I love it. And I want to go way more into Irish and Scottish history. We could do a whole podcast on it. Oh, my God. I had like, you should see my sources. I think I have more sources on this episode than any other one I've done because (laughs) there's so many books out there and the mythology behind all of this, the Celtic spirituality, so many interesting pieces. What's awesome about these at least two episodes we've done Yes. Is that it goes back since the dawn of man, before man, we're talking gods and goddesses and we can cover any part of your story. Yes. Just one for an entire episode, same mine. And I love it. Yes. But we decided we're doing all things. It's so (laughs) So hard. We'll get to them. Depending on when you listen to this, Halloween may have already passed and you cannot incorporate some of these new Samhain traditions, but perhaps it will give you something to think about and plan for next year. Think more mindfully about the holidays and in everyday life, really about connecting back. Yes, we talked about this as well. It's not just about Samhain. It gives you a lot of important ways to act in your daily life. Yes. Go connect with the earth have a level of respect for the living and the dead it's not about candy well happy halloween everyone we've already gone over everything at the beginning so we're going to make this short for the ending we look forward to coming back in november and bringing you some new episodes happy halloween stay lucid stay wickedly lucid ladies and lads goodbye bye this is halloween this is halloween halloween, halloween.